You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Life Groups Minister, Del Matthews. This is the Bible reading from Revelation verse, chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Here is what I command you to write to the church in Laodicea. Here are the words of the one who is the Amen. Is what he gives witness to his traits faithful and true. He rules over what God has created. He says, I know what you are doing. I know you aren't hot or cold. I wish you were either one or the other, but you were lukewarm. You you aren't hot or cold, so I am going to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I've become wealthy and and I don't need anything. But you don't realise how pitiful and miserable you have become. You are poor, blind and naked. So here's my advice. Buy from me gold made pure by fire, then you will become rich. Buy from me white clothes to wear, then you will be able to cover your shameful nakedness. And buy from me healing lotion to put on your eyes, then you will be able to see. I correct and train those who I love. So sincere, I turn and turn away from your sins. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If any of you hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with you, and you'll eat with me. I'll give to those. I'll give those who overcome the right to sit with me on the throne. In the same way, I overcame. Then I sat down with the Father on his throne. Those who have ears should listen to what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hi, my name is Del Matthews and I'm the Life Groups Minister here at St John's. Well, today we'll be looking at our final letter in the book of Revelation, the letter to the church at Laodicea. Uh, You and I rarely write letters and handwritten communication is rapidly being replaced by electronic means. And we're told that Australia Post would go out of business if it weren't for parcels. But historians love letters from the past because they give us the insight into the joys and struggles of real people. The letters we've been reading in Revelation are a bit different though. Yes, they give us insight into the churches of the day But these letters also speak to us. They're about the struggles and temptations that we can relate to. And there's a message from Jesus to us in those struggles and temptations. And that message is so important that I'd like to take a moment now to pray for us as we look at this letter together. Lord Jesus, as we think about your message to the church at Laodicea, Give us ears to hear what your spirit might be saying. Guide guide my words, I pray. Amen. Well, if we look at our map again, uh, we can see that Laodicea is at the end of the postal route of all these letters in Revelation. 
But what's not clear from the map is that Laodicea is also on a junction between two major trade routes, one running north-south and the other east-west. So Laodicea was perfectly situated to become a major banking centre. It was one of the richest cities in the Roman world, boasting some fabulously rich citizens. And the farmers around Laodicea had developed a special breed of sheep to cater for the clothing tastes of the rich. Most sheep, and therefore the clothing of most people at the time, was white, and getting coloured clothing was quite expensive. But the wool from the flocks of the Laodicean farmers was black. It was also quite fine, making it very soft. It was highly sought after and quite expensive to buy. Laodicea had one more claim to fame. It boasted an excellent medical school and was particularly known for its ophthalmology department. In Laodicea, you could get an eye cell that was the best in the Roman Empire. Now, from the outside, you might think that Laodicea had it all, but Laodicea lacked one of the most basic of human needs, a clean source of drinking water. Not a problem. Laodicea could afford to pay for one, not one, but two aqueduct systems to bring water into the city. Just about seven or eight kilometres to the north was Heropolis that boasted hot springs, famous for their medicinal qualities. And about 18 kilometres to the south of Laodicea lay Colossae, where there was a fast-flowing, chilly mountain stream of excellent quality for drinking. So, using Roman ingenuity, the Laodiceans built aqueducts from both to solve their water shortage. Problem was that by the time the hot water made its way to Laodicea, it was lukewarm, no longer good for medicinal purposes. And being full of chemicals, it was also undrinkable. And that water from Colossae, lovely and chilled at its source, also ended up lukewarm by the time it arrived in Laodicea. So the result was that the water in Laodicea was lukewarm and foul-tasting, making people sick. Now keep all that background information in mind as we go back to the letter that Jesus sent to the Christians at Laodicea. Jesus reserved his most scathing, scathing criticism for this church. Just like that lukewarm water of yours, he says, you're neither hot nor cold, you're good for nothing. Now this is much stronger than Jesus just preferring a hot drink, you know, or something chilled from the fridge, no lukewarm coffee or tea. The real meaning suggests that the church in Laodicea was so bad that they made Jesus want to throw up, to vomit them out of his mouth. And being the centre of banking, the Laodiceans thought they were rich, but Jesus said, no, in actual fact, you're poor. They were pitiful and wretched. Despite having a great wool industry, clothing the rich and the famous, the church at Laodicea was naked, the ultimate in humiliation. And even their world-famous eye salve and medical school couldn't help their blindness. So what had gone wrong? What was the Laodiceans' problem? What does it mean to be a lukewarm church? There was no idolatry, no sexual immorality, no false teaching that we see the other churches accused of. So what could be worse than those sins? 
Laodicea as a city boasted its independence and self-reliance. The city knew it was wealthy and thought it could be independent of other cities and the empire. The Christians at Laodicea had taken on the same attitude as the city around them. They were rich, but they didn't need anything. Now, don't get me wrong, Jesus does not have a problem with the wealth of the Laodiceans, or our wealth for that matter. The problem was their self-reliance. Last week, Joel told us about the earthquake that hit the region in AD 17. The city of Philadelphia was very badly hit, but the Roman Empire provided aid and they were able to rebuild. Laodicea felt that tremor, but the really big one that caused significant damage at Laodicea came in AD 61. However, when Laodicea was offered assist aid and assistance at that time from the Romans, Roman um, Empire, the city's answer was, oh, no thanks, we're good. That fierce independence and pride could not even be rocked by a severe earthquake. Now, at one level, it's commendable that the city as wealthy as Laodicea didn't take aid that might be needed, more needed by other people. Um, we get outraged if, you know, a billionaire would take um, government grant for their mansion or holiday home that was flooded or burnt down. But the real problem was their attitude of self-reliance, that I can do it on my own. So when, what Jesus accuses the church of is using their wealth to stay in control of their own lives and to remain independent, independent of him. Professing a belief in Jesus but thinking that they didn't really need him for any, anything else. Right at the beginning of the letter, Jesus reminds the Christians at Laodicea that he's the ruler of creation. Now, when they heard that read out, the Laodiceans' thinking would have gone immediately to the previous letter that they'd received from Paul. See, the letter to Colossians was also written to the, to the Christians at Laodicea. In Colossians chapter 1, we're told that in Jesus, all things were created, all things, including the most powerful and influential people, including those who, who think that they don't need help from anyone else. In Colossians 1 verse 17, um, says that Jesus did not only create all things, but in him, in Jesus, all things hold together. The cells and the atoms of everything that the Laodiceans and we find our security in are actually held together by Jesus. Just think about it. If Jesus removed the electromagnetic forces that hold the chair together that you're sitting on right now, what would happen? If he didn't maintain the air around us and our autonomic nervous system that keeps us breathing, where would we be? To say I'm rich and I don't need anything, is hugely arrogant when we can't even stay seated on a seat without Jesus holding and breathing without Jesus holding everything together. And worse than that, their independence and their self-reliance had spread to their spiritual lives. Their attitude of self-reliance was a form of hypocrisy, making them so foul that Jesus wanted to vomit. Now, they're probably not consciously aware of their attitude. In Australian culture, we're brought up to think of self-reliance as a positive virtue. The, La the Laodiceans probably thought of self-reliance the same way. 
But Jesus said they needed three things. Firstly, they thought they were rich, but in reality they were poor. Jesus wanted them to have gold refined by fire from him. Now in the Old Testament and in 1 Peter in the New Testament, we find that God uses the image of gold being refined to illustrate our faith that's been made pure by a refining process. The Laodiceans and we need that kind of faith, faith that's been put to the test. Secondly, even though they were clothed in the height of fashion with their black wool, Jesus said the Laodiceans were naked. He wanted to give them white robes. Now the image of white robes is used in scripture to remind us of Jesus' forgiveness, cleansing us of all sin. And the wealth of the Laodiceans couldn't buy redemption from their sin. Only the blood of Jesus, his death, can make us clean from all that we've done wrong. And thirdly, the Laodiceans thought that they had the best eye self in the world, but Jesus knew they were really blind. They were blind to their real problem and they were blind to their need for Jesus. In the Gospel of John, chapter 9, Jesus said that he came to make the spiritually blind see. In Revelations, he wants to give us, give the Laodiceans, eye salve so that they could see, see Jesus and see their need for him in every area of their lives. Well, what about us? What about us here at St John's? It's easy to sit back and be critical of a church you know, uh, like Laodicea, but what would Jesus say to us? Now, we here in Melbourne might be able to boast the best water in the world, but I think we have more in common with Laodicea than we might think. And Melbourne sits in the top 20 of the richest cities in the world. We rank number 17. Okay, so you and I are not billionaires or even millionaires, but compared to the majority of the world, we are wealthy. When it comes to financial and material matters, there is something we rely, we admire about self-reliance and independence. There's a few things that Australians rely on for a sense of security, you know, a good income while we're working, home ownership, um, and that super nest egg for then when we're no longer working. We measure our success in life by those things, by our riches, and we have a belief that we can work, work ourselves to get those things. Anything that threatens those, like housing shortage or interest rate rises, they're seen as, a, as ultimately to be a threat to our independence. I think it is worse for those who are not under immediate threat of losing their house or struggling financially. We cannot even notice that we're depend what we're depending on for our security. We can be smug about our self-reliance and our, how our hard work paid off, forgetting that Jesus holds everything together. All that we have comes from him. Now, even though you and I are not the richest in Melbourne, maybe you and I can relate to holding on to the idea of self-reliance and independence. Maybe now you're beginning to see that that value as a problem and Jesus has much more for you. You know, you need gold refined by fire, white robes and Jesus' eye salve, but they're all so abstract. What does he mean? And just how do we move on from here? How do we get those things? 
What does just Jesus expect of us? Well, up until this point in the letter, it, the letter has been written to the whole church, but now things get personal. Jesus starts talking to individual Christians in the church, and he starts at verse 19. Verse 19 <clears throat> talks about rebuke and discipline. Well, we don't want to know about that. In fact, we have a real aversion to talking about discipline as it reminds us of abuses that we want to avoid. Can't we just skip verse 19? And then the following verse, number 20, doesn't that refer to people who are not Christians? That's a great verse for people, for evangelism, Jesus wanting to come into our lives. Doesn't that refer to other people? But this letter was not written to non-Christians. It was written to a church, to people who had already made a profession of faith in Jesus. So the illustration of Jesus standing at the door of knocking is one of Jesus, not, not one of Jesus wanting to come in for the first time. This is Jesus, the master, the owner of the house, being locked out of the intimate areas of our lives. Firstly, we see that Jesus comes in love. He stands at the door and knocks. He doesn't pound on the door and break it down, barging his way in like we see on some police detective show. He doesn't scream accusations at us. He gently knocks and waits for us to open, be open to him to coming into our lives. Secondly, he waits for us to hear his voice. Now, at the end of every one of these letters in the book of Revelation that we've been studying, Jesus urges us to hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. In fact, all through the New Testament, we, the, the concept of listening to Jesus is so important. I think it's really important that we learn to hear his voice. Hearing Jesus is an antidote to self-reliance. You see, the self-reliant don't want the advice and help from anyone else. The self-reliant can have a false image, thinking that they've got it all sorted when they achieve the goals in life. Self-reliance needs Jesus to be honest with us. Before we talk about ways that we can hear Jesus' voice, notice that Jesus says, if anyone hears. So there are reasons why we don't hear, and it's not because he isn't calling. Self-reliance has the effect of convincing us that we know best. The best answers are within us. We don't need the advice of anyone else. The most self-reliant people, the most successful in the world, think, think the world need their advice. You know, they offer self-help programs, write books, become influencers. We can miss Jesus' voice by mistakenly thinking the answer is within us, that we know what's best. Sometimes we don't hear Jesus' voice because we create so much noise in our lives. We're not quiet or still enough to hear him. We just don't want to hear Jesus, so we fill our lives with so much activity and literal noise, music, podcasts, gaming, television, whatever, other people. We drown out the voice of Jesus. They're all good things, but if we use them to stop us from hearing Jesus, they become a problem. We can also miss Jesus' voice by through selective hearing, you know, like the old illustration of the child who doesn't hear when you tell them to tidy their room but has perfect hearing when, it come, when ice cream's on the offer. 
Uh, We can do that by picking up on the promises of good things in the Bible, uh, but just not hearing Jesus when he wants to deal with our anger or our greed or some other sin in our lives. See, we can do that by skipping verse 19 that talks about discipline and rebuke. We can also have selective hearing by directing the conversation with Jesus, coming to him with our questions and our agenda and only wanting to hear the answers to questions we bring. See, relying on our self-reliance, we only want to hear Jesus in times of trouble and when we run out of answers. We only want to hear Jesus when we have a problem, uh, not when life is going cruisy and and uneventful. See, the self-reliant, think they have everything under control at those times. But Jesus gives us a beautiful picture of the relationship he really wants us to have. He doesn't want a quick cuppa down the cafe. He wants to share the main meal with us. For the Laodiceans, that would have been a leisurely affair, a time when deeper conversation could happen. It was an intimate time together. Jesus wants us to get to know him better. And he wants, to get us, he wants us to get to know ourselves better. So we can't just skip over verse 19. If we skip his rebuke and his discipline, we also skip his love for us. And now we tend to associate discipline with the punishment, and, and often that's just physical punishment. But in the Bible, it's more like training, something like maybe good parenting or a coach or maybe good teaching. And we get a glimpse of what Jesus means by discipline if we take a close look at the format of his letters here in Revelation. In each letter, he lets us know a bit more about himself and why he has the authority to rebuke. Then he lets the church know what they're doing well. Only then does he point out areas in their lives that need working on. He extends his grace and he calls for a complete change of heart heart and actions, and that's repentance. And Jesus also explains the consequences of not repenting and the reward if they do. It's only when they refuse to listen to Jesus and take the second chance he offers that punishment comes in. Notice also that every letter is different. See, Jesus' love and discipline is personal and it's tailored to our needs and to our individual challenges. His ultimate purpose is to make us holy for his glory, not for ours, to transform us to be like Christ. Jesus' um, discipline is primarily about changing us. Now, Jesus can, can and may speak to us through a variety of means, but mostly it will be through the Bible. And that's a really good place to start, especially if you're not sure about hearing Jesus' voice on your own or or maybe thinking that your thoughts are ideas that are coming up. Maybe they're not from Jesus. See, Jesus himself used the scriptures throughout his life on earth to explain the truths of God. We can be sure the Bible is the voice of God. If he does speak to you through another means, you know, maybe through a friend or a life group discussion or perhaps a sermon or or a song, Jesus' voice is unlikely to be any more supernatural than just chatting to a friend, participating in discussion at life group, that sort of thing. They're just the ordinary interactions of our day. Mostly it'll just feel like one of those 
aha moments when you realise that something's true and something needs to change. And his words will always align with the principles and truths found in the Bible. I would suggest you begin with praying, opening the door to Jesus and inviting him in to speak to you. Ask him to open your ears to hear what he's saying. Make that a regular prayer, not just one when you have a, when you have a problem. Pray it at the beginning of the day or when you sit down to read the Bible. Make time for Jesus. Cut out the noise in your life. I find it helpful to ask myself, what are the things I blame for not having time to read my Bible or spend time praying? What are my excuses? What are the things crowding out my, uh, Jesus out of my life? Now, even as a retiree, um, I can find excuses for not spending time to listen to Jesus. Making time regularly to read the Bible and meditate on it. Some of us have more time than others. Yes, I have more time now. But I also found that when I worked full time, I had time, just different time. My dad always read the Bible and spent time praying, listening to Jesus on the train ride to work each day. And for some of you, what crowds out um, time with Jesus is people. I mean, little people can be the most demanding. But we all have time on tasks that don't require as much brain work, like commuting. Those are the times when we can turn our thoughts to Jesus. He asks us to come in and join us. He asks to come in and join us in the ordinary things of life, as ordinary as having a meal together. I think it's mostly when we take a short passage, read it slowly, and read it several times and mull over it. Uh, what it might mean for us today, that's when Jesus has a real chance to speak. If you really want to be transformed by Jesus and his word, turn that passage or verse you're reading into a prayer and pray it throughout the day. Self-reliance can creep in again if we think we can change ourselves treat and treat the Bible as a kind of a self-help book. But when we, when we turn his word into a prayer, we acknowledge our need for Jesus and the work of his spirit in our lives. That humility overcomes self-reliance. The Laodicean Christians had a problem they couldn't see in themselves. Although they'd come to faith, they thought they didn't need anything more from Jesus. But Jesus wants us all to recognise our utter need for him in all aspects of our lives. He invites us to spend time with him, to hear his words to us, to accept his discipline, his training, all because he loves us. And what about you? Will you keep the door open for Jesus to speak to you and transform you by his word? I'd like to take a moment to pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us so much you want to come into every aspect of our lives. We pray for an openness to hear your voice and a willingness to accept your discipline in our lives. We repent and are sorry for the times we thought we did not need you and we ask for your Spirit's help to overcome that tendency. Amen. 
Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.